Time it is, it's time for the show's world podcast. You know who I am and what I do, Rob Shaw, aka the Pod God, aka Harry Potter. One man band pod today. That was uh, my middle kid, Remy, with me. It's spring break, so if you hear him in the background, he's just doing his thing. We'll actually talk about what he's doing in a minute because I got some stuff to get off my chest. But first and foremost, Let's talk hoops, baby. First two games of the play-in tournament were last night. The Brooklyn Nets played against the... Damn, how did I just have a brain fart 45 seconds into it? The Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, story of this game was Kyrie Irving was really doing all the shit we love to see Kyrie Irving do. Um, he was 9 for 9 in the first half with <clears throat> 20 points. And they really couldn't do anything with him. Like, he wouldn't miss. And his game is, like, just the versatility of those two scores between him and Durant, you really can't stop them. Um, Irving finished 12 for 15, and the only thing he really missed were threes. He was 3 for 6 from deep, which is 50%. He also had 12 assists. Durant had 25 and... 11 assists and it looked super duper easy and if you had to pick a non-star star it would be bruce brown he had 18 points nine assists i mean nine rebounds and eight assists along with three steals he was in the if this is the warriors he was in the draymond green role he's the pick and roll option with durant and um Kyrie and whenever they're doubled they hit him on the short roll at the foul line and a lot of times it ends in floaters and finishes around the hoops but if the defensive big steps up too high that ends in a lot of alley-oops for Nick's, Nick Claxton and Andre Drummond types. We watched Draymond do this for years with uh, Kevon Looney and JaVale McGee and Bruce Brown has really stepped into that role. It's going to be super duper important for the role players of the Nets to step up versus the Boston Celtics, which is a very good defensive team. Um, Durant had 25, Kyrie had 34. So let's let's pencil them in for let's let's pencil them in for 75 points. The Nets still are going to need another. 40 points, maybe more, in order to compete. So what did they get? They got 18 from Brown, 16 from Drummond. So that's 34. Claxton gave 13. Patty Mills gave 6. Um, Dragic gave 3. And then Steph Curry, not Steph, Steph Curry, 0 for 4. But just his gravity as a shooter pulls people in. So he'll be <clears throat> he'll be a threat even when he's not hitting, but I need I'm gonna need him to not shoot the ball how Joe Harris shot the ball last year. If the Nets wanna just beat Boston, forget advance even further than that. They need more help for Durant and Kyrie, and those those bigs have to play almost as exceptional as they did tonight. Um, Almost 30 points and a busload of almost 
30 and 20 from the Claxton Drummond combo, that that's really elite. Like if they can get that, this team is dangerous and scary. I think I'm going to take them to beat Boston in six or seven. Um, and I like, I like this match. I think this is going to be really fun. Um, Brown and Tatum versus Kyrie, Kyrie and Durant, Kyrie going back to Boston after he said there was bad juju there and he saged it. It, This should be exciting high-level basketball. Shout out to the Cavs. Darius Garland, who modeled a lot of his game after Kyrie Irving, um, had 34 points. And Evan Mobley, who is second on my Rookie of the Year ballot, was really good. He had 19. He was 9-13 from the field with seven rebounds. Laurie Marketing had 13 points. I think Laurie Marketing sucks. I'm out on Laurie Marketing. Like, y'all take that Laurie Marketing stock, send it elsewhere. Kevin Love, who really matured and showed that, I guess, that he cares about winning because last year or in the past couple years, he's hated being in Cleveland because they've sucked. This year, they were good, and he took on a six-man role and was competitive and should probably be on everybody's six-man-of-the-year ballot. And that's a tough transition for dudes who used to be all-stars. Like, when you used to be the guy, and now you're a role player, and they don't even call your name in the starting lineups, that can be a really difficult transition. Um, I think the best player in my lifetime that I've seen make that transition was uh, Paul Pierce, um, particularly in his year in Washington. And now, he didn't transition to a sixth man, but he definitely took a smaller role offensively and took a bigger leadership role. Him and Vince Carter are the two best. Damn, this dude used to be a all-NBA dude, perennial all-star, and now he's taking on a mentorship role where he's trying to teach the young guys how to be professionals, but he's still a serviceable NBA player. Let's see. Let's get into the other game. Oh, so the net. No, I'm sorry. Not the Nets. So the Cavs will get to play the winner of Atlanta and Charlotte, which is a weird thing. I don't love the way that the play the play in seating is done. I guess I'll get into this before I get into the next game, actually. Seven and eight should not be playing each other. Those are the two best teams out of the four teams. So it's seven, eight, nine, and ten. Like every other playoff system in the world, seven should play ten and eight should play nine. Why does the seven seed, the best team, get punished by playing the best of the other three teams? I understand that they only need to win one game. You get two chances to win one if you're the seven seed. But that's how it should work. But I should be playing the worst team. Um, so it to me, that just makes more logical sense. Why am I playing a tougher opponent? Or let me just pick my opponent if I'm the seven seed. Like there needs to be some in, some reward for being the best team other than home court. And it also really sucks for the eight seed because the eight seed 
doesn't get home court, but the nine seed does in the first game. The eight seed doesn't get home court, but the nine seed does. What? This is backwards. It needs to be rethought. Now we can get to the second game of the night, which was the Minnesota Timberwolves, who haven't been relevant consistently in a very long time. But like they've stacked, they've stacked talent, talent wins. Um, I used to write an article about how much lottery talent each team has. Um, just off the top of my head, Minnesota has two number one overall picks in Car not in Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, and the number two in D'Angelo Russell. So that's like that's high level lottery talent. But then, like, they've done a really good job of shoring up the rest of the lineup with guys that fit. Pat Beverly is a dog. He's crazy, and he can be annoying, particularly if you're rooting against him. Like, you are so sick of Pat Bev. But, like, just from the standpoint of he's going to leave it all on the floor, and you know he's trying to do whatever it takes to win – Pat Bev is that kind of dude, and you want him on your team. You want a Pat Beverly to go to war with. And then Jared Vanderbilt is the perfect... Like, when you have Edwards, Towns, and Russell, you're going to need guys that don't need a lot of shots to fill in around that lineup. So Pat Bev took eight shots last night. Vanderbilt took two shots in 27 minutes, but he had 10 rebounds. He was the primary defender on Paul George. And Paul George got off, but you're never really – it's hard to stop an offensive player from getting off, particularly a wing. And Vanderbilt did his job. He made it tough. PG went, 12, uh, went 10 for 24. Um, so 12 for 24 would be 50%. So he probably shot about – 45% from the field. Um, he was 50% from three. But Vanderbilt made it difficult. Um, Malik Beasley, 28 minutes off the bench, gave the Timberwolves 12 points. I really like their backup center, uh, Naz Reed. I think this guy can really play. He's a kid from Jersey who went to LSU. I'm happy to see him seeing success after he spent some time in the G League. I'm, I'm super happy for Minnesota. Cat um, winds up fouling out of this game, only plays 24 minutes. He has 11 points and five rebounds. It's not ideal for him, especially because he's, a, he's probably our third team All-NBA center. You'd love to see him step up in that moment and have an eruption. But Anthony Edwards, who might be the funniest dude in the league with a microphone in front of him, drops a 30 ball in his first high-level game in in what has to be years. Like his first real high-level game, that Georgia team wasn't going to win the NCAA tournament. Not even sure if that – I, I want to say they made the tourney. But this is – it's been a while, and he stepped up to the moment. D'Angelo Russell, <clears throat> another dude who's a gamer, had 29. Like, their best player didn't show up for this big game or was hindered by foul trouble, and 
D'Angelo Russell and Aunt Edwards were like, yo, don't even worry, big cat. Niggas is here. We're going to win this game. Pat Bev talking greasy to uh, the Clippers owner, Steve Ballmer, as the game is over. And then getting in the locker room and being like, I told these bum-ass Clippers, and I ain't never missed the play. I love that type of energy. Like, Pat Bev, what up, baby? Shout out to Pat Bev. Like, that's not my man's man's, but I like that energy. I like that he brought that swagger to Minnesota. And now the T-Wolves are in the playoffs since, um, I want to say the first time since 2017 when they had uh, Jimmy Butler. And their reward for making the playoffs is a matchup with John Morant and the Grizzlies. And this series should be so fun. Like, we have just young stars everywhere. Cat and Jaron Jackson Jr. in the matchup. On top of Ja and Ant-Man. And D'Angelo Russell's probably going to be like, yo, I'm just as good as so-and-so. I'm sure D'Angelo Russell thinks... He's just as nice as Ja. So, I think that this could get super, super fly. Um, Zaire Williams is, is somebody I'd keep an eye on for the Grizzlies. Just think he might wind up being not an ideal matchup for that team. Uh, he's a rookie, and I just, I don't, for some reason, I think Minnesota might have a tough time matching up with him. I, I don't, I don't even, I can't even put my finger on why. Um, the idea of watching possibly seven games of Dylan Brooks guarding Anthony Edwards is giving me the biggest smile in the world. Dylan Brooks thinks he's Kawhi Leonard, and Anthony Edwards thinks he's Michael Jordan reincarnated. And to just watch those two young guys clash and fight, I guarantee that at one point, Dylan Brooks and Pat Bev get chippy with each other because they're from the same, they're cut from the same cloth. So that should be super duper fun. If you are listening today, Wednesday the 14th or Wednesday the 13th, we have more playing games tonight. We have Charlotte versus Atlanta as well as San Antonio versus New Orleans, which I'm not going to lie, San Antonio versus New Orleans does very, very little for me. Um, CJ's cool. B.I.'s cool. Um, the growth of Keldon Johnson and the young guys on the Spurs is fun. DeJounte Murray had a breakout year. Um, it's probably top five and most improved. He's not in my top three, but I'll get to my awards ballot later. Um Charlotte Atlanta is a matchup of two of the most young and exciting point guards in the league with LaMelo and Trey Young. Not sure that John Collins is going to be available for Atlanta for tonight. But so here to give some gambling advice real quick. I think that this one is an absolute barn burner. The over under total is 235 and a half. I think I'm going to take the over in this one. That means both teams need to get about... Like, one team needs 125 and one team needs 115. I think that that's very plausible. I'm going to take the over in this one. 
So that's our quick little betting advice. New Orleans and San Antonio. I think this means a little bit more to New Orleans than it does San Antonio. It's, hey, if we can sneak into the playoffs without having Zion all year, we are... That can show him, hey, we're trying to build something here. They made that big move to get CJ. So now, it like, this the defensive core of that team can't stop a soul. CJ Ingram Zion is going to get torched offensively. If they ever get on the court together. But also, that's three rough guys to guard. That is... That's tough. I haven't watched a ton of New Orleans since the CJ trade. I wish I had been so I could see how um, CJ and Ingram have been meshing and how they play off of each other. Don't forget, uh, Devontae Graham is still in the mix. Um, I'm rooting for New Orleans here, probably mainly because uh, Ingram is Yosh's favorite player and I can't root for Duke, so I can root for Ingram. Like, shout out to Yosh. Our next thought is, so we went through all the play-in stuff so far. Frank Vogel got fired. So there is a head coaching vacancy for the Los Angeles Lakers. I said I wouldn't talk about the Lakers again until they did something relevant. Well, I guess this is technically relevant. It's one of the biggest, it's probably the biggest brand in the whole NBA and they have the biggest star in the whole NBA, and now there's a coaching vacancy. Um, Frank Vogel did lead the Los Angeles Lakers to the 2020 bubble chip, and now he's out. Uh, There's talk of Mark Jackson. I want to see Mark Jackson coach again. I don't want to see him coach the Lakers. I think this is just nasty over there. Like, I I don't know who I want to see coach them, just because... It's so much pressure, and it's such a poorly constructed roster. Like, it, they expect championships with a roster that has an aging LeBron James, a can't-stay-healthy Russell Westbrook, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, a can't-stay-healthy Anthony Davis, and then they still have the contract that is Russell Westbrook, and his... I don't think you can win with Russ, uh, Russ at this level anymore. I think you can be a playoff team as long as he's at the helm and there's no real consequences for his style of play. But to win at the high, high level, he's been so bad lately that like I've had to rethink my whole stance on his whole career because there was a time where people like, you can't win with this dude, da 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 and I was like, no, you can, and they were like, he shoots way too many shots. And my counter argument back when he had Durant was, well, Durant shoots X, X amount of shots. And then Russ is the second best player. So he should be shooting the next amount of shots. Now, sometimes he was shooting more than Durant. And that was an issue. But for the most part, like, who else do you want shooting? Or who else did you want shooting? Now, at this point, I think his style of play has become so toxic. Not to teammates, but like... Toxic in a counterproductive way to winning. Like, his style of play, you can win games because of his sheer talent, but you can't win big things because it's not conducive to playing with other high-level talent. It's it's almost like he's a my player out there. Like, you know how you want your my player to do everything? 
no, no, no. If I if my my player passes it, you better shoot it because I need that assist. If my my player is in the vicinity of the rebound, you guys move because he needs those stats. And that's sort of how Russ has been playing um, almost ever since Durant left. Like, I thought the Thunder let him build really, really poor habits. Um, so that's that. Uh, Wayne Ellington and Compazzo from the Nuggets uh, now apparently have beef. Compazzo uh, thought he got fouled on a drive in, uh, like, the last regular season game of the year. Um, it wasn't even by Wayne Ellington. And then when Compazzo gets up, he pushes Wayne Ellington in the back, and Ellington goes down. And after the game, Ellington tweets, Yo, Compazzo, I'm going to put hands on you when I see you. Well, Ellington, Compazzo's not the only one. Yeah, just take out what you want. Um, sorry, that was Remy. Um, Compazzo isn't the only one you need to put hands on. You need to put hands on your teammates. If I get knocked down from behind and my teammates just let that rock, like, they're just... And then Compazzo's a little dude, too, at that. Like, it's not even like he's a big, scrappy dude. He's tiny. One of them Lakers dudes is supposed to put hands and feet on Compazzo. And if they don't put hands and feet on him, they at least got to do the hold me back joint. The, oh man, if I could have got to him, I was going to fuck him up. Don't let me get knocked down and my teammates not jump in. Like, But like that says a lot about that locker room. Like You guys are supposed to be together. It's 12 for one and one for all on some Three Musketeers shit. So... Imagine a little nigga knocking me over and my my 11 brothers not jumping up to be with the shits. And like, I'm not saying that we should be fighting and I don't even condone fighting. But also, out there, let somebody touch one of my teammates in real life. Like, we're going to be in an interaction. There, there's going to be an altercation and the shit might end in Mary Fistmas. Because that's how you're supposed to be as a teammate. And, like, I'm talking about old man leagues, um, pickup, and God forbid it's me and Yosh in a situation. There have been plenty, and when I say plenty, I mean plenty, a plethora of times. Mind you, this is my blood brother, but there have been plenty of times where it looked like things might get a little rowdy, and sun is in my face, and... He doesn't know that the second things go left, Yosha's behind him and it's going to get bad. But there's been vice versa, like where Yosha's in a situation and I'm just, I'm, I'm in, I wish a nigga would mode. I wish you would put hands on my little brother. You know how fast it's going to be fucking three ninjas in this bitch, but it doesn't just have to be Yosh. I've, I've had teammates in rec leagues get into scuffles that like, I like this person, but this isn't my man, but he's my teammate. The At the very least, I got to jump in and try and break it up. And if it goes left, then it goes left. And that's us in a league where we play once a week and we're all old and washed. But that's just how you should be as a teammate. Like, if I teach my boys anything, it should be, like, sports-wise, it should be, one, you should always have fun. But, but damn, you should care about winning. And two, you should have your teammates' backs. Like, 
I just thought the Lakers moved so funny, but like that tells me that that might be a locker room that doesn't have each other's backs. And that might be part of the problem as to why they lost. Like I know Anthony Davis playing a quarter of the games makes a big difference. LeBron was spectacular, but he's also aging. Russ is difficult, but if somebody can put hands on a teammate on a clearly dirty play and it doesn't even end up where people are face to face doing the yo what's up or I, that's not a locker room I ever want to be in. Like I don't want those niggas as my teammates because then something could happen to me and how I am, I'm ready to jump in for you and you just left me laying there. You ain't even check some that that hit me from behind dirtily. Pause, that was filthy. But like this was like my back is turned and he just hits me unprovoked because Wayne Ellington is not the person that fouled Compazzo or fouled Compazzo, but it wasn't called. And now I just got hit and now Wayne Ellington needs to put hands on Compazzo, but he needs to have some real nigga conversations with some of his teammates in the locker room afterwards. Like, so fuck is up. So that's my Lakers rant. And some of you guys might not agree with that. And you know what that means? I don't want you as a teammate. If, if somebody can lay hands on me, and you just going to let it rock? I don't want you as a teammate. Like, th this is non-debatable for me. Um, as far as the Lakers' head coaching vacancy, I, I just hope they bring in one of Bron's guys because it, it, it's got to be one of Bron's guys because if it's anybody else, you wind up being the scapegoat. So just let it be somebody that, like, LeBron handpicks, but not Mark Jackson. So I don't want Mark Jackson being the scapegoat. I want him to get another chance in coaching, but I I don't want it to be the Lakers. Um, this is something that I wish I had seen before the mailbag pod because I wanted to talk about this so bad. This isn't basketball, but um, at Grambling, the new volleyball coach told the whole team that she is not renewing their scholarships. Nigga, what? <clears throat> I understand you're the new coach and you got to do your thing. Like you, you want to build the roster how you want to build it. But then imagine being a junior this year and going into your senior year, they just told you, hey, you're no longer on scholarship. And... If you want to play the sport that you love, you need to find a different school for your senior year. Huh? What? I, I put mad equity into being here. For the last three years, I gave my blood, sweat, and tears on this um, on the volleyball court, and I gave everything to this university. Now, I either have to give up the sport I love and pay for my last year here in order to graduate from the university that I love, man, y'all got me so backwards. And that's just, if you're a junior, like it sucks for freshmen and sophomore, but like with like those, with their remaining eligibility, they can do more stuff. Just like as a senior, that's so trash. I don't know what the grambling uh, volleyball record was, but I feel like this is super dramatic 
And and this is a basketball pod, so I will tie it back to basketball or college sports as a whole. When y'all start chirping about the transfer portal, oh, there's so many kids in the transfer portal. Da-da-da-da-da. Yo, those kids got to make the right moves for them because look at how the universities are doing them. The whole volleyball team, you're, you're, she's going to get 12 new, or I, I think everything is basketball. I don't know the volleyball numbers, but she's going to get a whole new set of scholarship players. That's crazy to me. And the fact that like these kids have to either find a way to pay their tuition next year so they can graduate from Grambling, the the juniors that'll be seniors next year. But also, in order to graduate from there, they have to give up the sport that they love. It, it, it's, it's foul. So, I and this is the first time Grambling has been relevant since... I told y'all there's a Drake and Jay-Z line for every situation. There's literally... This is the first time they've been relevant... Since Drake got on used to and said, I'll be with the bands like a nigga went to Jackson State or Grambling. First time they've been relevant since Drake dropped that line for them. So now we can jump into NBA awards. Oh, wait, wait. That was sort of like a mailbaggy. No, no, no. Let's let's get into NBA awards. All right. Let's jump into NBA awards and then I'll move back to the mailbaggy stuff. So I'm not going to give like super deep numbers on my awards. I'm just going to throw out my top three in most scenarios. Um, I'm not giving all NBA teams. I did that on the pod with uh, Sean Stansfield. So I did my all NBA pod, uh, my all NBA teams on the from the stands podcast I know I plug these guys like damn near once an episode, but they are amongst my favorite people to talk hoops with. Like, I absolutely love them. You need to be subscribed to the From the Stands podcast. This is not an ad. This is just me being a real nigga and letting y'all know that that is an elite podcast hosted by Sean and Ian Stansfield. So definitely check out the latest From the Stands podcast featuring me where I give my all NBA teams if you haven't checked that out yet. Let's get into our awards. For MVP, I was Team Embiid for damn near 85%, probably like 75% of the season. And then James Harden's fat ass waddled over to Philly. And he basically derailed Embiid's MVP case. He He just made things so unappealing in Philly and that's not to say that I'm voting and I'm not voting Embiid because of Harden. Joker is the MVP. He was he was spectacular. He was in the same situation that Embiid was in, only he did it all season. Like Embiid didn't have his second best player all year until they traded Ben Simmons for James Harden. And then he got his second best player. Well, Joker played all season without Jamal Murray and a large portion of it without what many would call their third best player, Michael Porter Jr. And you know what Jokic did? He just kept on trucking. 
and he's a unique basketball player. He's the center on defense, but he's the point guard on offense. And his passing is what like originally made us all fall in love with him. But as he's grown as a player, he's realized, yo, I got to score more because sometimes I'm the best, not sometimes, I'm the best player on this team. And it's great to get these guys open shots. But if I'm not a threat to get a bucket, it really doesn't matter. So sometimes he'll hang a 30, 15, and 12 triple-double on you. Like, like the shit is cool. Like, look, I'm really here. I'm really here to do this. The only thing he's done this year that I really didn't like was he's got to get rid of that stupid-ass headband. That shit looks ridiculous. Fling that bitch to the crowd. But, so my MVP ballot is Joker, Embiid, Giannis. Um, Defensive player of the year. Um, Smarter people than me are going to say Rudy Gobert. You know how I feel about the Jazz. If I had a vote, I've just watched him get picked apart far too much in the NBA playoffs. I know this is a regular season award, but, like, if teams can just pick you apart defensively and not just like when it's a wing it's one thing but like because like it might just be one dude and you can't stop him because dudes can be really hard to stop one-on-one but like teams systematically go after Rudy Gobert in the playoffs let me say that again to you like they structure their offense to attack Rudy Gobert in the playoffs that can't be my defensive player of the year. It just can't be. That shit doesn't make sense to me. This nigga's the defensive player of the year, and we're in the film session saying, and we're dying to get him onto our best player or our third best player. We're dying for him to have to guard anybody. Like, that is a massive problem. That's like if this was baseball, and you're like, well, this is the Cy Young winner. He's the best pitcher in baseball. And the lineup can't wait to face him. They're like, best pitcher in baseball, we are going to tee off on this nigga. Going to be a whole lot of, damn, another souvenir for the fans? That's the equivalent of how teams scheme to attack Rudy Gobert in the playoffs. Can't be my defensive player of the year when I know three days after he wins this award, somebody's going to be putting him in high screening roles the whole fourth quarter to get layups because he can't guard in space. So with that said, Marcus Smart, come on down, get your trophy. Marcus Smart is my defensive player of the year. And one, I think it's important to reward the Celtics for their improvement throughout the season. Two, he straps up. Like he just locks up. It's been a really long time since a, a, a real guard has won it. Um, Kawhi Leonard won it, and he's he's more of a wing. Um, but it's been quite some time since a guard's guard has won it. Actually, let's... When is the last time a real guard won the Defensive Player of the Year? We have Kawhi, but, like, I want to say... For some reason, my brain wants to say Gary Payton. I think that's wrong, but, man, is it not crazy far so i'm looking at defensive player of the year winners i literally just had it up and then it switched to another stupid ass screen god that's annoying um 
<clears throat> so in 2000, so let's just go through the winners and I'll tell you when we get to a guard and it, oh my God, is it going to be a while? 2020, uh, last year, Rudy Gobert, the year before that, um, Giannis, and then the two previous years, Rudy Gobert, 2017, Draymond Green, 15, Kawhi Leonard, 14, Kawhi Leonard, um, 13, Jakeem Noah, 2013 is uh, Marc Gasol. That's the year he wins Defensive Player of the Year but does not make first-team all-defense. Go fucking figure, right? I told you the NBA teams are – they don't make sense. Um, 2011, Tyson Chandler. Um, then three years of Dwight Howard. Kevin Garnett, Marcus Camby. Two years of Ben Wallace. Ron Artest is a wing in 2003, 2004. But, I mean, if I'm not counting Kawhi, I can't count uh, Ron Artest. So then we go two more years of Ben Wallace. We go Dikembe Mutombo, Alonzo Mourning. I was right. It was Gary Payton. The last time it was a guard was 1995-96 Gary Payton. And then before that, it was 1987-88 Michael Jordan. And then I... And then I guess this was sort of a guards award when it started. It started in 1982 and Sidney Moncrief gets it the first two years. And then we have our first center get it in 85, Mark Eaton. And then it's Alvin Robinson, a guard, Michael Cooper, a guard. And then we get to the Jordan year. But, like, really, 1995, 96 is the last time a guard won the defensive player of the year. And that just goes to um, one, wings have a distinct advantage as perimeter versatility so like the Kawhis and the Paul George's the Ron Artest like those guys especially in today's era they can guard one through four and in small ball lineups sometimes one through five but rim protection just matters so much more and that's why bigs normally win it but like Draymond Green won it but he can strap up Rudy Gobert winning it in some of those years is fine. But, like, right now we've just seen that NBA defenses have figured him out in the playoffs, and I can't reward that. Um, third on my list is Mikhail Bridges. He's just – he's done whatever Phoenix has asked for him, and he's he hasn't missed a game in his NBA career. He's the NBA's Iron Man right now. Um, most improved – was loaded this year but i think it's a runaway winner even though there's really good candidates it for me i'll go three two one and i'll go backwards on my ballot so the third one for me is jordan Poole of the golden state warriors um he added six and a half points to his average uh so he averaged 12 last year in 18 and a half this year but on a winning team, like last year, they weren't so good. Uh, they were in the play-in tournament. This year, they're securely in the playoffs. And he's been a large part of that winning. He got He's getting 10 more minutes a game, which one means Steve Kerr just trusts him more. Um, the shooting percentages are relatively the same on more shots. 
he added a rebound, he's grown, he's doubled his assists. So he's doubled his assists from two to four, but that means he handles the ball more. He's getting more shots. He's getting more minutes. That means he's grown and the coach trusts him more. So some of these are a representation of his growth as a player. So Jordan Poole is third on my ballot. Number two is Tyrese Maxey. He averaged eight points last year as a rookie and started eight games. This year, as a 21-year-old second-year player, he started 74 games, and he averaged 17.5 points. Um, He also doubled his assists from two to four. He's playing almost 20 more minutes a game, and most players do make a bigger leap from their rookie year to their sophomore campaign, and that's why I'm not in love with giving this award to second-year players. But I do think Maxi needs to be credited because Ben Simmons missed almost... Ben Simmons didn't play a game for the Sixers. And Tyrese Maxey stepped up as their second best player um, over Tobias Harris. And he's really been Embiid's running mate all year. When James Harden doesn't look like a fat fuck, it almost looks like... Um, the Sixers could have a big three with Maxi, Harden, and Embiid. <clears throat> but my winner in what I think should be runaway fashion is Darius Garland of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, his number jump isn't as dramatic as the other guys. He averaged 17 last year. He averaged just about 22 this year, 21.7. So that's five points. That's healthy. Um, the assist numbers went up by almost three. That's critical. He's a fairly good shooter. Um, he's actually relatively close to 50, 40, 90. He's not going to crack it this year, but he's pretty close. His, his field goals are 46. So he's not quite there, but on threes, he's 38. And he's 89 at the line. Uh, This is somebody who patterns his game after Kyrie. Kyrie has hit 50, 40, 90. I don't think it's a stretch to think that he could possibly get there. That's a very elite club. And needing almost a, what is it, jump in three-point percentage? Because that's that's the one that's really difficult. In three-point percentage jump, he would need almost two percentage points, but he was almost there last year. Last year on less attempts per game, he shot 39. So it, the point is this kid's an elite shooter, and Evan Mobley came in and made a ginormous impact, but Darius Garland is what makes that ship go. He's what steers Cleveland, and I think that's the biggest difference in his case for me, between Maxi and Jordan Poole. It's his usage and the load he carries for that team. Maxi is right now the third option, sometimes the fourth, and not the fourth, but he, him and Tobias Harris can fluctuate. And they have, and Maxi has two guys that are clearly better than him in the pecking order, order in Joel Embiid and Fat James Harden. Um, Jordan Poole has... Steph Curry, who's clearly the best offensive weapon on that team, 
And then he's working around figuring out his role with Klay Thompson. And then Draymond Green is the leader of that team. Darius Garland is that guy, particularly offensively. Like the load he needs to carry offensively for that team to go is so much higher than the other two. And that's why Darius Garland is my most improved player. Um, Before I move off most improved player, I saw a lot of people had John Morant. Not a lot of people, but like people wanted John Morant to get some consideration. And while he did take a massive leap, uh, he was already an all-star. He was already a high-level player. Like It's tough for me to get behind giving it to somebody who going into the season, we already knew that this dude was a killer. So that's just my thoughts on that. And actually, one more thought. If John Morant is eligible for this, like so was Carl Anthony Towns, because Towns really stepped it up uh, from like a leadership perspective. He's been better defensively. Like if, if Ja can be in it, so can Towns. And I don't think either of them should be involved in this award but i do need to if if that's how we're going to do it i need to say that um rookie of the year scotty barnes and i know rookie of the year is supposed to just be you add up your points rebounds and assists averages and whoever has the most wins the award but this rookie class was so good you don't have to use that old school formula because Scotty Barnes was the fourth pick, and he turned out to be an impact player on a playoff team. Not a play-in team, but a straight-up playoff team. And he, like, you felt his presence from day one on the team. And I don't know that you can understate how fly that is for a rookie to come in and have that kind of impact. Like, the reason we normally count points, rebounds, and assists who has the highest total of them for the rookies is because rookies normally come to bad teams and don't impact winning. Yet, Scotty Barnes is here. He played 74 games, and he averaged 15, 7.5 rebounds and and 3.5 assists. And he played stellar defense. It's just not often rookies come in and have that kind of impact on winning. And I need to reward that. The second person on my list gets that same kind of credit, actually. It's Evan Mobley. He came in and you know what he did? He helped change the culture in Cleveland. This was a team that we didn't expect very much from. And now they were in a regular, if there were no playing tournament, they would be guaranteed in the playoffs. They'd be the eight seed. But now they're fighting for their playoff lives. But Evan Mobley had an immediate impact on this team. He averaged 15, 8, and 2.5 and assists. But you can't, you can't, almost can't quantify him or Barnes's num, uh, impact with numbers because rookies aren't supposed to come in and impact winning this dramatically. And that's exactly what both of these players did. And I wouldn't be mad at somebody for voting Evan Mobley just for me. It's it's Barnes because whenever I talk to the Stansfields, oh God, brought up Ian and Sean again, I always say, hey, the Raptors are a superstar. They're a ready-made team for a superstar. They just need to grab one, and that's what they and they and they did that when they had Kawhi. They grabbed the superstar, won the championship, and it's always been, well, who can they get to come to Toronto? 
Who can who can Drake convince to come to the six? Scotty Barnes is so good. Now our conversations are: Did you guys draft your ready-made superstar? Like the did you guys just draft him? And I think the answer might be yes. <laughs> and then lastly, Cade Cunningham, the number one pick. Cade was awesome. Uh, his stats are great. He showed a lot of, yo, I, I can really be good. But same with Jalen Green. Like, yo, they showed that they can score the ball and impact the game at this level, but not, they didn't impact winning. Like, these other dudes put up good numbers on teams that won. So I need to reward that. Um, sixth man of the year, it's Tyler Hero. And then Cam Johnson needs to be on your ballot. And for me, it's probably Kevin Love because. Oh, wait, I already talked about why Kevin Love should be on your ballot. My bad. Sometimes I get on these monopods and I just be rambling. Coach of the year is Monty Williams and then Taylor Jenkins. And then I don't really care who you put in third. Just just make sure it's my boy Monty. It needs to be Monty Williams. Uh, let's... Okay, a couple quick topics and then we'll get out of here because I'm, I'm almost at an hour. So, I'm going to give you two numbers. I'm going to give you two players, and I'm not going to give you their names. Um, Actually, let's make it fun. All right, player, the first person to text me, tweet me, DM me, the first person to get in contact with me and tell me who player A is and who player B is and who they would take, um, I'll send you out one of the Charles Law keychains. <laughs> so, player A is a four-time All-Star, a two-time champ, one-time assist leader, one-time steals leader. I'm sorry, three-time uh, assist leader. One-time All-NBA, four-time All-Defense. Player B is a one-time champion, six-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA. Just using that information, before you get their names... I'm not going to give you their names, but before you figure out their names and who they actually were, just using those that information, which player goes into the Hall of Fame first? I'll read it again. Player A, four-time All-Star, two-time champ, three-time assist leader, one-time steals leader, one-time All-NBA. Player B, one-time champ, six-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA. Who goes into the Hall of Fame first? And... Who are players A and B? First one to get those to me wins a uh, Shaw's Law keychain. This is from a conversation with who but Ian and Sean Stansfield. Um, I'm sure we're actually going to hash this out in a off-season podcast where we talk about both players and which one had a better career. But until then, somebody win this. Uh, somebody win this keychain. Um, and then what else? Some of you I'm sure have already listened to the Sonic podcast that I did with the boys. We went and saw Sonic too, and we did a podcast. Um, what you guys don't know is during the movie, Marcus hits me and he's like, dude, we should get a Sonic video game after this. Let's go to GameStop. And I'm like, sure. Why not? So we go to GameStop. They don't see anything Sonic they like. But don't worry. Both of them fucking sucker daddy into buying each of them a game. Which is it's whatever. Like, 
was I, was I saving money to buy myself a game? Yes, but the kids come first. I wanted MLB The Show, and I'll get into why I wanted that in a minute. Um, Remy is like, ooh, I want Minecraft for the Switch. So boom, we get Remy Minecraft. Marcus, my, my big baby, has really, really been hooping. Like, he's on, like, a complete hoops tear. He wants NBA 2K22. So I buy them those. Um... And Marcus goes back to his mom and I haven't played 2K in about five years because I just think it's, it's, it's bad product. I think it's bad basketball product. It does not feel, the, it, it's not as free-flowing as I feel basketball should be. That's the reason I play Madden and I play baseball games because I probably just don't know enough about, that, about each of those sports to know when the game doesn't feel right or doesn't feel realistic. I know fucking hoops. I know when it just feels so clunky. Like sometimes you want to move and it feels like there's an invisible barrier in the way. But I was like, you know what? Me and Yosh used to love 2K. We used to play it for hours on end. We used to make seasons together, make up players. To this day, we still have damn near a hundred made up players that if we ever started playing again, we would make them up and add them into the season. Shout out to Tommy Moss, um, Pablo Webb, Anthony Peeler, uh, the, the, uh, Joseph Slay. Like there's just a million made up dudes that we got so deep into seasons that we were like 10 years in and that the, the league was full of computer generated players. And if they were good, we would, <clears throat> we would keep them. So that's that's why we did that. Therefore, damn, where was I going with all that? Therefore, I thought maybe this would be something me and Marcus would do together. So he went home and I picked up the game and I tried to play that. That is some bullshit. NBA 2K is some bullshit, dog. It, all they're doing is updating the rosters and updating the graphics. They are not making any quality of life improvements to the game. And it just feels so mother-loving clunky. So that is why, like, that's why I play Madden. Because, one, like, even NFL football, like, I know enough about it. But the reason 2K doesn't work for me is because I really hoop, dog. Like, I really go out into the real world and get fucking buckets. So, since I don't really go out into the real world and score touchdowns anymore, I was a flag football monster, though. Please do not let it fool you. These hands is baby bottom soft. Anyway, so, but since I don't do that anymore, like, I don't get the feeling of, damn, Madden doesn't really feel like football to me. <laughs> Same with baseball haven't swung a baseball bat competitively since I was 12 or some shit. So like the little nuances that like a real baseball person might say, Oh, I don't like this. Or I don't like that. We can't do the shift X, Y, Z. I don't feel those things. So I really enjoy baseball games. Um, road to the show is something that I really enjoy. It was definitely my next video game purchase, but the boys, like I said, the boys come first. But don't worry, because, like, I still had a plan. Like, it's spring break. I like to play a video game during spring break. On the PlayStation Store, I saw that all three Batman games 
are nine dollars like not nine dollars a piece just like you can get all three of them and all the dlc for nine dollars well that sounds just fucking dandy so i bought it and i mean the moment it downloaded and i got ready to get on the sticks here come remy oh dad this looks so fun i want to play nah nah bro we, we brought you minecraft for the switch go minecraft it out Dog hasn't touched Minecraft. He been running around beating the brakes off niggas as Batman for the last two days and only passes me to sticks when he needs a little bit of help. And he don't never need help with the fighting parts. I get to do all the detective work. Like all the, oh, uh, go into scanner mode and look at this forensic evidence. That That's the part I get to do. I haven't thrown one goddamn punch as the Dark Knight. But, like, that's that's the joys of having kids. Like, I wanted little versions of me. And, like, here they are doing mad me shit, pissing me off. Because I know I'm annoying. Well, little versions of me are also annoying. I, I mean, I love them to death. But, like, it's called a spade a spade. Like, when they be doing baby Rob shit, I'd be like, oh, my God. I can't believe I would do this. And it's annoying. Um, we had, oh, my boy, George, um, I asked you guys, George asked me a question. No, Riley asked me a question about how do we incentivize the play in tournament? And I told you guys that I wasn't really sure it probably had to be money as well as like legacy stuff. Like in 20 years, you can look back and see who the all time leading scorer is in the play in tournament as well as not the play in tournament, the mid season tournament. But we'll also be able to look at the all-time leading score in the play-in tournament, I assume. And then maybe you put an age limit in. But George gave the real answer. So shout out to George. I asked you guys what you thought the incentive needed to be. And George's answer was spot on. George said, oh, you need to incentivize the GMs with draft capital. Like, if you win this play-in tournament, there is no way that you can drop out of the top five. Um, or... And maybe it doesn't even have to be a top five. Maybe it's an extra pick or maybe it's some salary cap relief. Oh, you win this. We knock 8 million off of your cap total. And that allows you to maybe sign somebody else. Like the, it was just a brilliant idea. And I wanted to share it with you guys and also shout out George on the pod because him and Riley and a few other people have always supported the pod and and like when i go on like long hiatuses which i promise i'm trying to avoid doing like they always check in like not a, not just on me or not just on the podcast but on me as the uh, the person because they know i love it and they're like well we know you love it so if you're not doing it is everything okay are you good and like that level of support i can't tell you how much i appreciate it those of you that always text and give feedback like, just to let me know you're listening. Like, I love y'all for that forever. Um, Is there anything else? I think I hit everything. Oh, no. I got one more from uh, my good friend asked me to rank my top 10 sports movies. I don't know if I can rank them. But, like, these are ones that I know for sure are in it for me, like, just off the top of my head. He Got Game, Love and Basketball, Mighty Ducks 2, Sandlot. So that's four. 
Um, White Man Can't Jump is five. Um, I really did like A League of Their Own. I don't know if it's in my top ten, but I really did like A League of Their Own. Um, I fucked with Coach Carter heavy. Um, is there is there a football movie that... Um, mm, I, I preferred Friday Night Lights, the show, to the movie. <laughs> Remember the Titans is good. I feel like I'm missing some, but like this is kind of right now off the top. Um, let me know your top 10 sports movies. Maybe we'll do something fun with this. Don't forget the player A versus player B thing. First person to reach out to me and get that. I'll shoot you a Shaw's Law podcast keychain. Um, I think that is just about everything. So, like, y'all know what time it is. Remy! You want to come do a yo before we go? Yeah. Then I also say goodbye. Yes, you can say goodbye. All right. Yo, bye. This has been the Shaw's Law Podcast. And like that, we out.